What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Closing the Loop. Today's guest is Corey Clipston, founder and CEO of Swan Bitcoin, a popular US-based service for buying Bitcoin. Swan began as a way to make it easy for people to dollar cost average their Bitcoin buys, automating them on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis. Only Bitcoin and only buying. There is no option to sell with Swan. A not so subtle suggestion about how people should be engaging this asset. In my opinion, Swan is a great example of a company who benefited tremendously from hiring from within the quote Bitcoin community and who really showed the power and importance of content in distinguishing their brand, educating prospective customers and contributing to the resources available to everyone seeking to understand Bitcoin better. Corey and several among the team at Swan are good friends of mine and it's awesome to see what they've built, the success they've achieved and most importantly, how they've done it. Enjoy. Corey, what's up, man? Long time no see. How are you? Hey, John. I missed you, man. <laughs> I miss you too. The last time we spoke on a pod, I think, was like fall 2019, maybe. A lot's happened since then. Uh, yeah, I think it was like right around the launch of Give Bitcoin. Exactly. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good place to start for people that aren't, you know, that don't maybe know you yet. What's the uh, the Give Bitcoin Swan Bitcoin story? Get us kicked off. Oh yeah, sure. So. Uh... I got a bee in my bonnet that I wanted to do something at the intersection of education and selling Bitcoin um, over the winter of 2018, early 2019, mostly because I was just really thankful for some of the, the great educators that I'd been getting orange pilled by uh, over the past year leading up to that after spending almost a full year getting confused by, by altcoins. <laughs> from uh, spring 2017 until about March, April of 2018. So I just kind of wanted to do something there. My first idea was uh, Give Bitcoin, which launched uh, just before the holiday season of 2019, which was, um, you know, give somebody some Bitcoin, some sats, and then it would be escrowed for a year. And then we'd deliver, you know, 12 months of Bitcoin education to them. So they'd actually know what they own before they take control of it. And that launched and was doing great. Uh, but we also built in a uh, buy for yourself button in there. And you also could give recurring gifts and you could sign up for recurring purchases for yourself. And right away, over 90% of the volume was the uh, buy for yourself, even though the gifting was doing great and was signing up tons of users. The dollar volume was just exploding on you know people signing up for plans, even though they were giving to themselves and it was escrowed for a year. It was just something that they wanted to do anywhere but Coinbase, basically. <laughs> so it became really clear that needed to be a separate product. And that led to the creation of Swan over the holidays, uh, 2019. And we launched that March 30th of 2020. Mm. Yeah. So then Swan, everybody, I think, you know, in, in this space probably knows at this point is, you know, we, we think the best way to buy Bitcoin, best place to buy Bitcoin, certainly in the U.S. Um, and then we've launched internationally, at least for uh, sort of... Um, our private client business is global and has been for almost a year now. Um, but that funding is only by wire transfer, whereas in the United States, you can sign up for recurring purchase plans and do smash buys funded by your bank account and send wires for larger amounts. Um, we have a really robust solution in the U.S. Yeah. You guys were one of the first to double down on the Bitcoin only uh, approach to things. You know, in, in hindsight, and especially as maximalism hopefully grows. I mean, I know we're, we're in this constant, like, you know, uh, give and take between the broader market, not really getting what's going on here. But 
Um, you guys seem to be one of the first to say, like, we're going to focus exclusively on Bitcoin and develop content around that and develop our product exclusively around that. But, you know, at the time, I guess there was a lot of question marks about whether or not something like that could be viable because the behemoths in the space, like your Krakens and your Coinbases and all that stuff were presumably had locked up a lot of the market share. So what was it that, I mean, I guess the experience with Give Bitcoin is part of the answer to this, but what was it that gave you the confidence to go that route or the, or the knowledge, right? Cause it's, I guess it's, yeah. it's, it's twofold. I mean, I, I think it was just spending enough time with Bitcoiners and just having your finger on the pulse a bit, you know, hanging out in telegram, hanging out on, on Bitcoin Twitter and just kind of talking to enough people going to the Bitcoin conference in uh, in June, 2019, going to meetups, watching my own. I I've had, you know, I had, I've stopped the last couple of years, but for a decade I had a monthly, uh, tech meetup across Chicago and LA, and slowly that just got taken over by Bitcoiners, <laughs> almost exclusively by the end of it. And mm-hmm. uh, and you could just tell that Bitcoiners wanted to. What it came down to was the uh, the recommendation engine. Uh, Bitcoiners want to send anyone they care about anywhere other than a crypto exchange, and so we knew that we could grow. When, when you hear something like that, you know that you can grow through organic marketing, through word of mouth without a lot of ad spend. That You just mm-hmm. have to have a really good product and serve people really well and you should be able to grow. Um, so that was kind of the that was the pattern that I saw, you know, having been involved in startups for a long time. I've seen that pattern before and I thought it was applicable here and it turned out to be right. Why do you want to get involved in another startup? You know, like I, I'm. I don't, I don't know what the right way to say this is, but it didn't seem like it was a necessity for you, but why get involved in like another, you know, all the hoopla around a startup and the work involved and the time and commitment and all that kind of stuff. Well, I, I mean, I love startups. And so before we had kids, well, we had our kid in the middle of my first startup where I was added as a co-founder to an ad tech company. So I was there for a couple of years, like 13 to 15 had our first kid in 2014. Uh, and that did, that was hard. It was hard having like, you know, a zero year old and a one year old while working startup hours and bouncing around. It was also a heavy kind of, uh, it required a lot of in-person and a lot of travel, which doesn't mesh well with having young kids. Um, so that was actually something. So from 15 to 19, I was purely an advisor and consultant to startups. So I was working with like venture backed early stage companies, basically as a fractional chief strategy officer, because until you're worth like hundred or $200 million, you can't really afford somebody like that. That's like X McKenzie, X Google, whatever. But I could work with like four or five companies at a time, sometimes taking a cash retainer, always taking some equity and basically build up a big portfolio. Sometimes I'd invest, invest as well and, uh, and build up a portfolio of startups. And, um, you know, now, I guess it, it was just kind of, it was kind of natural. Like I, I, I kept on having ideas of things that I wanted to do. Uh, I knew since April, 2018, that I wanted to work full time on Bitcoin. And the first thing that I did that fall, I was making almost the same mistake. I was working on a, a closed end fund that would get listed on pink sheets and you could buy in a brokerage. It would be one of these trust type things like a Bitwise or GBTC or something like that. And, um, and I realized like once we get this thing launched, I would actually have to go and sell it 
to institutional money managers who don't actually care. And you'd be, you know, trying to make that argument for why they should have 1% or 5% or whatever. And like, there's no, there's no reward there. And you're on the road. And I realized I just wanted, I wanted two things. One, I wanted to be talking to the principal, not the agent, the person whose life is actually affected by, you know, understanding Bitcoin. And two, I wanted it to be, uh, you know, an, an internet platform that was very B2C, meaning like business to consumer. And, um, you know, where you could basically run it from home and not have to travel all the time <laughs> with my with my two young kids requiring lots of attention. And, and I like them. I like being around mm-hmm. them. What was your, and we'll come back to the, I guess, the, the, the chronology of the Swan story in a second, but what was, what, when did the penny drop? When did you realize it was Bitcoin, not shitcoin? And in, in particular, what happened? It was a... Uh, it was so I, I okay. So I can tell the whole story. So someone gave me some Bitcoin at a digital media conference. I remember because I, I can see it in my email. It was January 29th of 2014. Uh, I had Bitcoin in my email in 2012. Missed it there. Missed it. I got the blockchain wallet. Got about a, I think it was an eighth of a Bitcoin or something. Lost that private key. Lost the wallet. Uh, Christmas of 2015, uh, an associate who throws a big Christmas party out in Santa Barbara every year. I went out there and, uh, and he had packaged up like his startup stakes and eight companies into a series LLC and asked me to like make the deck so he could sell off half of the series LLC and Bology's company was in there and Ripple was in there. And I actually had to put together slides on both of those companies and six other companies so I had to like read a little bit just to be able to put together at least the slides on Balaji's company. <laughs> didn't right. take, didn't hit. I took my pay, you know, moved on. And it wasn't until the, you know, all the noise in my professional network really, um, you know, being around venture capital and startups in the, in the price run up of spring of 2017 that caught my attention and, uh, and dragged me in. And, you know, unfortunately the signals around me, Silicon Valley land were all about how friction tokens are awesome and you should create, you know, payments out of market networks and stuff like this. And, you know, Andreessen and Fred Wilson were really smart on ad tech and video and marketplaces and all the stuff that I cared about up to that point. So I got some really bad guidance <laughs> early on from what previously was a strong signal in my life, in my professional life. Fortunately, uh, a GP for a big crypto fund insisted that I at least start with Bitcoin uh, and recommended that I read Digital Gold. So I did that first and I bought Bitcoin first and I was buying kind of all that summer and fall while I dove in and wrote 50 pages of absolute trash about my plans for crypto funding. <laughs> I had this whole plan for a new VC fund doing crypto crypto, you know, non-dilutive token raises and stuff. Um, and, you know, and then I started going to like, you know, crypto meetups and, uh, crypto conferences and stuff, and uh, the the first thing that uh, that bursted my bubble was two things. One, I think I randomly reached out to Andreas to ask him to advise a, uh, an ICO, and he was like, "I would never do that." And I was like, "Well, that's interesting." And then, like two weeks later, I was at a blockchain conference in uh, Santa Monica, and uh, and I randomly was just like outside on the lawn. This is at the Aviation Museum. In, uh, in Santa Monica, and there was this, this dude in like tight jeans and a cowboy hat sitting on the lawn, 
like talking to two people when there's thousands of people with like crazy boots and suits and outfits and stuff doing all this blockchain crypto crypto stuff. And there's this one guy that's just looking around like he hates everybody. And I was like, well, that seems interesting. Let's go see what's going on with that guy. So I sat down in this little circle and met Jimmy Song and he started to uh, explain <laughs> to me the difference between Bitcoin and, uh, and crypto. And uh, so then I, I went down the Jimmy Song YouTube rabbit hole and that led to finally reading. Uh, I watched all of Andreas's videos and uh, read um, uh, Internet, uh, what's the Internet Money book? The Internet of Money, I think. The Internet of Money, yeah, exactly. The collection of all his talks. So, um, <clears throat> so that was kind of it, and and then I kind of I was still like pretty immersed professionally already because I was helping like a post ICO project and helping the the CEO like do a bunch of stuff after they'd raised you know thirty five million dollars and we're trying to figure out how to deploy it and stuff like that. So it took a while to kind of extricate myself from all my crypto activity, but. Uh, yeah, I basically got all the way through it. I think, uh, I want to say Safe's book came out in February or March, maybe of 2018. I read that and, you know, started started going deeper into Austrians. I had never gotten past, like, Milton Friedman, kind of monetarists, free-to-choose, libertarian-type stuff back in business school in the, in the early aughts. So mm-hmm. I never really delved into the, into the Austrians. So I started to do that, and it was just, you know, it was just kind of super clear that I had to get far away from what I was increasingly seeing as scams and, uh, and work on something that, you know, was becoming clear to me was the biggest innovation and kind of the most important thing to happen, certainly since the internet, maybe since the printing press, maybe since agriculture. Yeah. Do you think it's just greed and ego that causes those Silicon Valley counterparts that you referenced to miss, you know, or be willfully blind to Bitcoin? Um, it's a whole mix. I mean, they re a lot of them actually know exactly what's up and are actually like bad people. Um, but a lot of them actually, uh, are convinced that they're doing the right thing and that, you know, Bitcoiners are obstinate and myopic and, and don't understand what's going on in web three or DeFi or whatever the, the new word is, blockchain, mm-hmm. NFT, web three, DeFi. So, so it's hard, right? Because you seem like you're a jerk because you're attacking their integrity and you're attacking their livelihood both. So you're trying to like make it so that, you know, Chris Dixon can't put his kids through private school and you're telling him that he's not a good person. Like it's really, it's an easy block for all the, <laughs> all the GPs at Andreessen Horowitz that don't want to hear this about themselves. Right. But I mean, is that the thing like that? You just you've got to be somewhat humble to get Bitcoin. You know, you got to shelve a lot of the well, first, you got to shelve a lot of the the, the junk that you filled your brain up with that that constructs the filter through which you see a lot of this, you know, see the world, at least economics and money. Uh, And it's difficult, you know, the the Upton Sinclair quote, you know, it's difficult to get a man uh, to believe something when his paycheck. I'm right. Depends on not seeing it. it, Exactly. Yeah, Yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I I messaged that gently to uh, Niraj at uh, Coin Center on Twitter yesterday. Like, remind me who's your source of funding <laughs> with all your all your chatter about crypto. I'm assuming it's crypto exchanges or crypto yeah, projects, crypto yeah. projects and crypto exchanges. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's I think that Bitcoiners are realizing, you know, 
the interests of non-Bitcoin crypto uh, diverge dramatically from Bitcoin and Bitcoiners and what we need and what we want and and what's good for Bitcoin. And that's becoming um, really evident over the past year. Yeah, I agree. What do you think is the the primary point of divergence? And let's assume like good intention, those in the the, the crypto world that are well-intended or well-intentioned. What do you think is the the main point of divergence between the Bitcoin people and those people? I mean, whatever explanation is given is just marketing for the fact, like the only thing that matters here is short time to liquidity for venture capitalists and their LPs. That's literally the only thing that matters. Like this is the best matched hype cycle industry, whatever, in the history of venture capital for generating high IRR, right? Because Mm -hmm. they can, you know, create a token with a PhD or whatever, or find one that they think they can pump. They can buy up a ton of it, super cheap. They can market it without adhering to any of the rules that penny stock operators and Ponzi schemers have to adhere to. They can market the living hell out of it using every available tool that they possibly can without following the same rules that other people doing the same thing have to. And, uh, and they can sell into global liquid markets and, and sell it off to people who are later to the game, whether that's institutional or whether it's retail or whatever. And they can get out of like all of, they can get out of, you know, 20% of their position at 10x, (laughs) 10x what they put in and then let the rest ride and still pretend that they're hodling because they're like, well, we only sold a little bit. It's like, well, dude, you already made 10x your money because you got in a half a penny and it's 30 bucks now. So, you know, that was always kind of the plan. Uh, All the crypto VCs in 2017, 2018, um, basically how they talk to each other is they say, we can make our own weather. We can, we can collude, we can cooperate, we can do this sort of like, you know, you do a deal, we'll step up your deal to make it look successful. We'll do a deal down here, you step up our deal. And that's what they do. They collaborate and they basically step up each other's deals to make it look like there's momentum. But it's mm-hmm. all very, it's very shell game. Yeah. Are you uh, a kind of an outcast black sheep as a result of your being vocal about that dynamic because that was a world that sounds like you previously swam in there's only a handful of vcs that are heavy in crypto um so i can keep up good relationships with everybody else if i want to (laughs) and even those people like you know i i try not to attack them personally unless they're like actually lying about bitcoin then it's gloves gloves off like if they Mm -hmm. they literally are pushing bullshit narratives about Bitcoin to pump their coin or whatever, then it's gloves off. But it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I've, I've learned that it's very difficult to tell someone that like you think they're doing the world wrong. (laughs) Like you're burning that relationship basically immediately. If you tell them like you're doing evil shit, like that relationship is over. Yeah. Generally, uh, you know, and that and that's okay. Like I don't need these relationships anymore at all. But it's also, you know, you wanna you wanna stay in the conversation to some degree. I go back and forth on it. I mean, the the people trying to be build media careers where they're gonna monetize through media, they have to be nice to everybody. They can't call anybody a scammer, and they can't mm-hmm. tell anybody that they're getting scammed. 
Um, I can be a lot more honest than somebody building a media career, which is nice because I monetize through something else, which is, you know, a company that has revenue and profits and, and the equity value is growing and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the people that can really be absolutely honest and pull no punches are people that are not in media and not running a company. Yeah. Well, I think general, I mean, obviously that, that sentiment permeates Bitcoin, right? Where it, it, it's, it allows you to speak what you believe to be true, right? And in an, a global environment where that has become so rare, where people are always so politically correct and where people are always talking their book or talking their team, faction, political party, whatever, it like having a group of people that are increasingly emboldened to just say what they believe to be true and are backed up by the performance of that truth. I think oftentimes that's what gets interpreted as being, you know, quote unquote toxic. I, I, you know, I hate that whole debate and dialogue and I don't engage in it, but I can see how that the group of Bitcoiners is perceived to be abrasive by a group of people that are typically, let's say, held to a lesser standard of honesty and truth and frankness. I mean, some of this is just like, like we've all seen this movie before, like Bitcoiners are mean and Bitcoiners exclude us is the same thing that the big blockers did and the Ethereans did back in, sure. you know, 16, 17. So it's, it's not, this is not new tactics from these people claiming toxicity, whatever. And it's the last battle. Like, honestly, like Bitcoin has separated itself. You know, there's no, there's no one competing for sound money anymore. You know, even like Ethereum people, whatever. There's a few that tried to meme, you know, sound money or something like that, but like none of them Super actually sound believe money. it. And, yeah, ultrasound, right? Yeah. Ultrasound, so, right. Uh, you know, so that's like, that didn't work or catch on and they know that's not it. And they're still back on world computer or whatever. I just, um, I think it's like, it's more important, honestly, if I'm, if I'm sort of probability waiting, what will happen over the next couple of years, there's way too much leverage and way too much risk in non-Bitcoin crypto. It will crash again. And if I'm looking at where to place chips with my own education, my own networking and what to spend time on, it's the next battle. So it's, it's banking system, it's politics, it's regulation, it's geographic expansion, it's continued orange pilling of people all around the world. Like, it's really just focus on Bitcoin, don't fight the last battle. I have like, I'm so bored by Twitter spats and <laughs> Twitter spaces or whatever about people trying to say like maximalism, whatever. It's like, you're so boring and so trite and it's so 2017, like just let it go, move on. Yeah. Let's work on the next thing. Yeah. I agree with you. I think a lot of that is, um, people that, you know, are a little bit clout chasey, you know, like to be up on stage and having their voice heard and that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's always going to be that, but I agree with you. It's a, a very uninteresting dialogue to me. Um, well, I think it's a, I think they're all crypto proponents at the end of the day. Even if they are Bitcoiners, you know, that's something that you self-identify. So if they say they're a Bitcoiner, fine, that's, they can be if they want to be. But that's, that's accepting shitcoiner narratives and promoting them. So I don't know. It's not cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a question for you. You know, I, I, I often talk about this, how what Bitcoin represents almost seems to 
emit a certain ethic in in the qualities that it has and what and w- the benefits and and uh, things that engaging it permits. And so you re- you reference the term Bitcoin, and of course we all use it all the time. What do you think that actually means, or what does it mean to you? What does a Bitcoiner mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I defined it in the mission statement for the company back in February, March of 2020 with my uh, 10 million Bitcoiners piece. And basically it was, uh, you, you need three things, really. You need to have a good chunk of your net worth in Bitcoin. So you're kind of, you know, skin in the game. You need to have a pretty deep understanding or knowledge of Bitcoin. And you also need to be willing to fight for it doesn't mean you have to pick up uh, AR and <laughs> defend your property like that, but you know, you should be, you should be willing to argue about it. You should be willing to, you know, if the time comes to, you know, go to a town hall meeting with your local congressional rep, like, I mean, I, I think a Bitcoiner is like actively doing something about it too. That's probably the least important. I think the most important is a deep understanding and, and skin in the game. Um, yeah. But I certainly like to have the people, you know, on deck, like the Minutemen, ready for the call to arms if needed. Yeah. I'm assuming that this, you know, being involved in Bitcoin and building a company in the space, I mean, it's, it certainly sounds like it's a more, you're more emotionally involved in the enterprise than perhaps previous ones. Oh, you that's know, like obvious. You, you, I mean, you're right, all because the there's such a mission Swan, behind it. Yeah. I mean, all the people that work for Swan, I think... Uh, wanted to work in Bitcoin first, you know, versus right. most startups, they're like looking for a job and hopefully they get interested in your video ad tech thing mm-hmm. somehow and become more immersed in the industry. But everybody that works at Swan was into Bitcoin first. We yeah, completely stopped over like a year and a half ago, we stopped hiring anybody that wasn't already known to us through Bitcoin because right. uh, anybody that wasn't just washed out real quick. Uh-huh. They just weren't, weren't there. And I mean, it's got to be a, such a pleasure as a company to be to have a pool like that of people that are basically rabidly supportive of your mission, and you just have to find the skill set match to bring them on, and then you know you're off to the races. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff we do is based on the things that uh, people we hired are capable of doing. So we didn't. <laughs> right, we right. actually just like hired people and figured out what they could do, and then that ends up being what the company does. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you scooped up a bunch of, you know, rock stars right off the hop, which I think was very wise and and probably instrumental uh, to the success that you guys have been experiencing. But what I was going to ask is, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners end up experiencing a kind of, um, well, again, to use the term again, divergence from normie world, as it's called, right? Where the the Mm -hmm. people that you end up interacting with in your former life or normal life uh, don't, if they don't see it, then you know, the, the, the nature of the discourse, let's say is different. And especially if you're an entrepreneur, because, you know, they'll, they probably witness and see how motivated you are to, to, to build this company and to have it succeed. So what's that been like for you? Have, have your family, social group, that kind of stuff noticed the difference since you've been orange filled? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird because me being publicly about Bitcoin has coincided with being able to travel a lot less. Um, and in my case, it's even less than, than a lot of people. Cause I've been having to go, uh, back to my original hometown of Seattle a lot for like 
family health reasons. So my ability to even travel for business is, is cut dramatically because I'm leaving my wife alone with two kids whenever I go to Seattle. So that's the reason you haven't seen me out and about mixing it up in, in different places around the world uh, the last year and a half or so. Um, but I've got a lot of friends personally and professionally who've gotten into Bitcoin because of me as you can imagine. So we talk about Bitcoin and they start buying and a lot of them are Swan customers and stuff like that. Um, I've got a lot of friends who had some that have bought a lot more because I've sent them articles and, you know, had conversations with them and stuff like that. Uh, I also have a lot of not even, not even just random people in my network, but also like some close friends that are distracted by crypto. It happens. And are like, I had, uh, a VC buddy who was like a dad at our old preschool in Santa Monica. And, you know, he asked me for, uh, Hey, you're, I know you're in Bitcoin. Can you introduce me to the guys at OpenSea? They've got a BD role open. I want to do it. And I was like, like, I'm so busy. I don't have the 12 hours to like sit and take Evan aside and explain to him about Bitcoin versus what else is going on out there. <sighs> you know, and, uh, you know, another buddy was like, he's kind of just been bouncing around Spain, usually lives in New York, he's been bouncing around Spain and like, he's going to go work for some, you know, blockchain sprinkled on it type company that's gotten pretty big. And it's like, as long as you realize this like is all going to wash out, you know, fine, take the money. It's a lot of money, but you're not really doing anything purposeful at all. If yeah. they ever put a product out, it won't have blockchain involved, just like figure, you know, the, the HELOC company or whatever. Obviously, there's no HELOCs on the blockchain. Um, <clears throat> they just raised a bunch of pomp money and used the money to, <laughs> to dilute themselves less than they would otherwise because crypto VCs pay up because there's nothing real there. It's, it's fake money that they're dealing with anyway. Um, so, yeah, some of those anecdotally have been a little bit disappointing, but you just don't, don't have time for everyone. Like... I know that I have to use, you know, we have to use code and media to scale because hand-to-hand -hand combat isn't enough. I know too many people. And so, you know, I might not be able to spend, you know, 10 or 20 hours with a, a close friend and orange pill them, but I can use that 10 or 20 hours and grab another thousand people by leveraging the Swan platform. Yeah. That's how I look yeah, at and, it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you guys have leaned into the media aspect of all this from day one, you know, and I think brilliantly that you've just focused so much on media and education and just basically let the customers come to you. Was that, I mean, that was always the plan from the very beginning yeah. was to just use organic educational content as the marketing. Mm. That was kind how, of how has that, I wanted to do. How has that developed? I mean, I know, you know, you got, originally had Brady there leading the charge and great podcasts and great videos and great artistry. And now I, I, Swan Studio, is that a thing? Are you guys going to be supporting exists now? Yeah. So we've got supporting documentaries and films and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. We've got two out so far. We've got uh, This Machine Greens and Bitcoin is Generational Wealth, which is a nice Both video awesome, made on yeah. one of Tomer's pieces. We've got more, more coming there. 
probably working on a, a it's either going to be a five or six part series or a feature length documentary uh, with the guys that did this machine greens. And that, that should get distribution on Amazon or Netflix or something like that. So that should be cool. Awesome. Um, we're opening up so a studio you, you, space. You guys just funding LA. all this? Like, is that how it uh, works? No, we mostly do. We might kick in here and there a little bit, but mostly it's, um, it's connections so we essentially actually help with production. So they might need access to people to put in their movies and stuff like that. Um, right. I mean, in the case of Tomer, obviously, it was funded by one of our investors, uh, who's also one of my partners in Bitcoin Ventures. And then Tomer is our editor-in-chief. So it was kind of all, all swans involved. And then we just do a lot on the promotion and distribution. So it airs on the Swan Signal channel. And you know we all pump it out through our channels and boost it and put it in Twitter and Telegram groups and emails and stuff like that. I mean, we email right. 350,000 people a month now. Wow. So, you know, we have, I, I mean, it's, I think it's the most reach of anyone in Bitcoin. That's awesome. And you yeah. were mentioning about a studio. Like oh, yeah. Studio. Yeah. So we were working on the lease right now, but, uh, in January we should have an office slash studio space in, uh, in West LA, um, right, right next to Marina Del Rey. Uh, and we're putting sets in there and we'll shoot a couple of shows there and, and have that kind of available. So it'll be good. What, what kind of shows? Uh, we've got a weekly broadcast quality news show, um, that we'll actually be looking for sort of network distribution. Um, so wow. that starts in January. Uh, and then we'll probably do like all kinds of other things. I mean, Brecky lives near there, so Lord knows what he's going to do with the space. But it's just it's just <laughs> Brecky von Bitcoin's camera playground. Right. Um, but we also we also just hired uh, like a world class uh, director, videographer, uh, also award winning computer animator. This is like this guy is just a freaking ninja with many skills. Who Brecky went to college with, and they've worked on multiple movies and commercials and stuff together over the years. And Brecky has been orange pilling him for a long time. And uh, he's finally a full-time swan as of eight days ago. So cool. that's also going to, you, you got to give creative somebody to bad ideas around with, you know, sure. they can't just be on an Island. Like Brecky's going to come to me with some crazy ideas and I'm going to be like, I got to take a call. Like, you, need some, <laughs> you need somebody to just sit there and, you know, whatever creatives do for their creative process, like they usually need a partner. Right. <laughs> And so this weekly news show, it's going to be, you know, covering the, the current events in Bitcoin. Is mm -hmm. that the idea? Yeah, current events. And then it'll also have like story packages. So we'll like shoot on location and, you know, do stuff in El Salvador, or, you know, Miami or wherever there's a story. We'll send a reporter and a cameraman and actually go and, you know, shoot story wow. packages. And then like in studio and remote interviews with big names, stuff like that. That's rad. That'd yeah, be super fun. It's time. I agree. I agree. Speaking of El Salvador, what do you make of develop, recent developments down there? Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate uh, Max and Stacy on becoming uh, El Salvadorian citizens, which just happened this week. That's pretty cool. Quite, quite the reception. Yeah, absolutely. Straight to the ambassador's office. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, I'm, I'm very bullish on experimentation. You know, I think that's that's the miracle of you know, the, the 50 states here and we have 190 countries and I hope lots of them try all kinds of different things. And I'm, I'm just, volatility is good for Bitcoin. Like more things happening is good for Bitcoin. 
mm-hmm. every time China bans, it's good for Bitcoin. When they reopen, it's good for Bitcoin. <laughs> like, I just think it's, uh, you know, Bitcoin is like a rock star, you know, all news is good news. The only thing that's, you know, nothing for Bitcoin is when nothing happens at all. So I like governments promoting it. I like governments attacking it. I like companies promoting it and companies attacking it. Like I just, uh, the more, the more people are thinking about Bitcoin, the more the virus spreads. All right. I saw initially, you know, regarding El Salvador, I saw Brecky trip up on Twitter about wanting to uh, go down there and set something up. I don't know if it was a, 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 a co-working space, a hostel, a studio, something like that. Yeah. I mean, we, we have, we have a telegram group called Swan House El Salvador with like 130 people in it and we're noodling on it and thinking about it. Um, I think once a few more people who we know well, uh, move down full time, um, and we could actually have somebody to kind of tend to the shop. I think that could make sense. Um, we, yeah, we're just, we're just not quite there yet. I want to see it develop a little bit more. Um, it also probably makes a lot more sense for us, you know, as, as we develop our product suite and, you know, I, I, the whole reason I started, I actually have a background in payments, not so I've never done financial instruments or sold financial products before. So when I thought about doing something in Bitcoin, but you know, the first thing I was like, well, let me just do something in payments. That is something that I know and could do uh, pretty easily with my network and experience. But I just, you know, I just think we're still quite a ways off from being able to do like a venture scale, profitable business in Bitcoin only payments, you know, it's because you need a lot of people willing to spend a Bitcoin. What do you think? What, what does that mean? Like payments and Bitcoin? Because, you know, uh, people don't want to spend Bitcoin unless they have nothing else to spend. And I think it takes, you know, probably eight years of price appreciation for Bitcoin to become 90% plus of your net worth. And sure. so the only people that are like really looking to spend Bitcoin beyond hobbyists and, you know, our, our friends who just like to, to build cool things uh, are basically people that were in Bitcoin from like 2012. Yeah, I agree. Well, I guess what I mean is, what do you mean when you say payments, right? So we have Lightning Network for yeah. payments in Bitcoin. What are you thinking of in terms of... Oh, I'm just thinking it, about like Bitcoin Bitcoin as being your your base currency, like get on zero. Some of the stuff that like Level is talking about. Like I am a huge backer of all that stuff. And I, you know, we keep on funding <laughs> Lightning companies and wallet companies through Bitcoin Adventures and... You know, I, I'm an advisor to Hexawallet. I'm an investor in Breeze, investor in Galoi. Like, I, I want all these things to be huge. I just think that, you know, for Swan, I think we'll do that kind of stuff, but I think we'll probably do it in three or four years when there's another cohort that uh, is spending Bitcoin. So I, I think that people that got into Bitcoin in, you know, 2016, between 2013 and 2016 will that's a big enough cohort that will have to be spending Bitcoin and will demand really good products and services. So the people that are in it now that have small teams and are building really, really cool shit, they're in pole position and they're doing awesome stuff. And they're going to be, I think, you know, pretty sizable companies and, 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 you know, be there, uh, three years from now, they'll be hitting that scale because that next, that next, uh, you know, batch of people will, will have had their Bitcoin appreciate to a certain level and, and will be spending. Um, 
I think that with our brand and our reach and our scale, uh, it'll make more sense for us to do that a little bit later. Like we have a big team, it's like 35 people or whatever, but it's everything that we can do to effectively onboard and serve and, and, and orange pill people just buying Bitcoin. Because I still think that we're broadly in in a mass accumulation phase of Bitcoin and it's still a nascent store of value. And, you know, it'll become more of a medium of exchange as more people have nothing else to spend. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't mind, you know, either building our own wallet or buying a wallet or, you know, getting into some of that stuff. But, you know, for me, it's, you know, we'll probably do some skunk work stuff like we have a lightning project and some other stuff. And we're going to be paying our referrals out in SATs and things like that. And obviously all the individual swans run lightning nodes and do kind of cool stuff, as you know. Um, but at the company level, I did, it just feels like start working on it with a few people next year, start building up to something that kind of could scale in 2023 and try to like make a big splash with something more around medium of exchange right. around 2024, 2025. Right. That's how I sequence it in my head. And you guys recently, there was an integration between Swan and Hexa, right? Yeah, yeah. So we've we've got APIs now, and so we can make a great Swan sign-up, onboarding, and purchasing experience happen in somebody else's app or on somebody else's site. So Hexa is the first one to go live, but we've got another 10 or 15 of those that are sort of in various stages of progress. Another one will launch really soon, and then there's some really big ones coming uh, early next year. What's the the landscape, I guess, for so APIs? Let, like- me, let me just put a, yeah, I'm sorry. You were probably about to ask the right question. I just, I'll go there. Um, so this is like in, in the same way that the crypto exchanges can't really serve Bitcoiners well because they're dealing with a hundred altcoins and they have the wrong incentive. They're trying to get you to turn your account and trade a bunch, uh, yeah. you know, so they can't do features that you want. They don't listen to your needs, things like that. Uh, Simplex and Wire, uh, do this for crypto and they don't do a good job with Bitcoin, right? Like they have high fees, they don't do lightning, like there's all these different things that they, they don't do well or at all. And then, you know, their support teams are terrible because they don't understand Bitcoin. They don't really understand anything. They can only read off scripts. They can't hire anybody good because nobody is like devoted to crypto. <laughs> Nobody's devoted their life to learning about shit coins, <laughs> like all of them. <laughs> You know, so if you can if you can just serve the Bitcoin community, which keeps on getting bigger, and you can serve the sites that only want to you know sell Bitcoin, and eventually I think those will turn into all kinds of other things that you do with Bitcoin. You know, we just want to get in there with that that relationship and let the tech te- let the tech teams get to know each other, let the execs get to know each other in the early days, just by letting them sell Bitcoin. And letting them sell through a brand that makes them look good, that reflects well back on them, that makes them look cool, that has, uh, you know, great reach and distribution and can help them get signups. You know, like Hexa has told us, they've gotten, you know, mountains of signups for Hexa since this announcement, because obviously we all tweeted it out and wrote about it and stuff like that. So hopefully we can just do that over and over again. Well, a lot of people didn't even know about the wallet at all. You know, yeah, no, yeah, no disrespect to the team, but that, that's no, just I mean, the they're brand new, they just launched, it is what it is, you know. Um, but it's a beautiful experience, and Odell helps out there, I help out there, Brad Mills helps out there. Like, there's there's a lot of people that really like that, that wallet, yeah, 
Yeah, it's it is pretty much related to what I was going to ask. But you know, in a market where ultimately buying Bitcoin is is going to be commoditized, right? Like, and who, whoever has the lowest fee and the and the, I mean, brand is always going to play a role there. I guess this this is a question for you. What do you make of all you know different uh, exchange providers, even Bitcoin only providers? What, what's the landscape of, of that market and how does that direct your strategy and doing things like you've done with Hexa and trying to integrate and provide that service to other platforms? I mean, at the end of the day, <clears throat> people differentiate by offering different things, right? So you could be like Strike and you could, you know, only charge, you know, 0.3% or whatever. They, I think they just pass along the spread from the from Prime Trust and the OTC desks. And they don't provide service and the limits are really low and they have to do the cash app thing with the lockup. So you can, you know, some days you can only withdraw 300 bucks, some days it's three grand, whatever, you know, because they don't have the kind of intense fraud department and fraud scoring and all the kinds of things that let you actually make sort of bespoke decisions using rules and sometimes using like video interviews and stuff like that to kind of actually get to know who you're dealing with and and deal with them differently. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't, you can only sort of serve like the really experienced Bitcoin pleb with that model. And that's what we do with our retail platform. But for anybody else that needs like any handholding whatsoever, that ever has any questions about Bitcoin, that feels like they want to have a guy or a gal that they can talk to about Bitcoin, that can handle their account, that can help them with this wallet, that wallet, that kind of recommend things to them. You know, I think at that point, that market is going to have... 10 times more people looking to do it five years from now and a hundred times more people looking to do that 10 years from now. And there's no fee compression in in that market that is requiring like good service. So at 99 bips, you know, we're like 0.99%, like that's sustainable longer than anyone could ever expect to be running a startup. Like that's sustainable for at least another decade. Yeah. Tell me about some of these other uh, services you've added on to just the exchange service, right? So you have Swan Private. You mentioned a moment a moment ago. Um, well, I guess Swan Private it's it's internationally available, right? So let, let's go through what we got. So there's SwanBitcoin.com, which is soon to be uh, Swan.com. We bought that, so we'll roll that out soon. <laughs> how much that's <laughs> how much did that cost? Uh, we leased it for five years with an option to buy. And the logic is the price is not that bad. And the logic is we'll either be big enough that that price doesn't matter five years from now, or we will have failed, in which case we right. won't buy it. But in the meantime, right, right. the lease, the monthly lease on it is cheap and totally worth it. So we Good. just moved on it. Nice. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, so we've got that, uh, Swan private client services is kind of, you know, you have a salesperson. So this is, uh, like, Steven Lubka, Dijon Blahadl, who's one of the top sort of voices on, on Bitcoin Clubhouse. Terrence Yang, who runs the Bitcoin Club, former uh, MD at Morgan and Merrill, awesome Bitcoiner. Uh, Stefan Levera obviously does, uh, you know, as part of that sales team, actually, uh, it's really fun when people get assigned to Stefan and they're like signing up and they're doing their first call with Swan and they're like, <laughs> it's pretty awesome. Uh, and then uh, Alex Stanzik, who's a 14-year institutional uh, gold salesman who got super orange belt a couple of years ago. So he's amazing. Uh, and then Ryan Flynn, who's fantastic and is, is helping out a lot with uh, another unit, 
uh, called Swan Advisor Services, which is what Andy Edstrom is now running. So Andy was supposed to join our board. We actually just started a board of directors. Andy was supposed to join the board, and then he hit me up and he said, you know what? I'd actually rather come on full-time and run Swan Advisor Services. So that is basically recognizing that a lot of our clients, present and future, have money managers, they have financial advisors, they have RIAs, and that that relationship requires, you know, a different kind of treatment and different kind of, you know, products and packaging and sales collateral and ways to help them have conversations and things like that. So uh, that unit got spun up a couple months ago. Um, and Andy's running that. And so, sorry, so is that for the advisors, advisors that will be advising their, their clients, clients on to Bitcoin? buy Bitcoin? Exactly. Yeah. It's just like in our, in our CRM, we just, we just note if we find out that somebody has an advisor, we treat them a little bit differently and we, you know, offer them a way to connect Andy with their, their money manager. And then also Andy and Ryan are like bird dogging all the RAs nationally and getting in touch with them. And, you know, and we have a lot of those relationships. Like we probably have, if there's a hundred trillion covered by RAs, like people on our cap table uh, manage about half a percent of that. So we have like about a $500 billion pie to chase just of people who already own a piece of Swan. And is the strategy to get those advisors to use the private client services and exactly. that sort of thing? Exactly. Yeah. So the way I kind of look at it is like, I think we're just kind of like Nidig Jr. So they basically seem to focus on, you know, they want to handle buys of like 50 million or more uh, or do partnerships where, you know, it's kind of the scale is in the reach of like the credit union or the regional bank or something like that. So they're going to roll out a lot of that stuff next year. Uh, and they'll give great customer service to like, you know, a mass mutual where Ross will show up for a meeting and, you know, they've got this great team with great relationships and stuff like that. But, you know, the whole torso and the tail uh, you know, if they're killing elephants, we can get all the deer and the rabbits. So basically anything under 50 million is a great face off for Swan. And, and we're doing a great job because we're, we're really intelligent about how to scale that and to treat somebody that's buying a thousand dollars, you know, well, but more attention for somebody that's buying $500,000 and a lot of attention for somebody that's buying 20 million. Mm-hmm. What else is going on? What, what you, I feel like you got lots of stuff, lots of irons in the fire. Give me some. Give me some inside scoops. Well, this is fun. So, I mean, you, you've got an, you've got kind of a business audience and obviously that's kind of the focus of your podcast. We can talk a little bit about, um, everyone assumes that, you know, when I ask people and I often do, I'm like, you know, what else do you think Swan should sell? Like we've got a great brand and we've got big reach. Like what else should we do besides Bitcoin? Mm-hmm. And the answers are always, you know, me too products, which is like, why don't you add something that somebody else in Bitcoin is already doing? I've never get it. I never get another answer. It's always like, well, just do Bitcoin backed loans. Like you can get that from Nidig white labels now, like to sign up for that. Like, why don't you do interest backed, whatever, you know, hand wave away the stable coin concerns and offer people some interest on their Bitcoin deposits or, you know, set up some kind of multi-sig something or other, like it's, or, you know, get into payments, get into, you know, uh, you know, wallet type stuff. And it's not clear to me that uh, it's not clear to me that we need to do any of those things or that any of those things are actually like particularly profitable right now. I think they all like maybe will be more of a, a full service financial, you know, Bitcoin bank, Bitcoin financial services company in the future. 
But the stuff that's obvious to me to do that I just, I can't help but start them is Bitcoin or community oriented projects. So, you know, like I had an acute need earlier this year where people were constantly hitting me up looking for jobs in Bitcoin. And I hate to say no to anybody. And so I wanted to say yes. So I found, I found Niceboard, which is like just a SaaS company up in SF. And you can create a vertical specific job board pretty easily and started Bitcoiner Jobs, found somebody to run it uh, over in the UK. And it took off, obviously. There's, you know, 40 companies on there, probably 120 jobs up there today at bitcoinerjobs.co. And it just felt like something that we had had to do. And once it kind of got some traction, it was pretty obvious, like, A, I loved Nathan, who was doing it. So I wanted him on the SWAN team. So we got him to quit his job and come over. And then we rolled, rolled Bitcoiner Jobs into, uh, into the company. Um, so that was kind of obvious. Like we had to do that. Um, we and have just to hold, hold on one second. So is that a, just like a headhunter model? Like if someone gets a job off Bitcoin or jobs and no, the company free. pays you, it's free. Oh, it's free. I consider it, I consider it marketing. Okay. I consider it part of our marketing. It's, you know, what's more valuable con- like we can put out educational content about Bitcoin, but we can also help Bitcoiners find nice. jobs and we can help Bitcoin companies, uh, hire Bitcoiners. Um, but that all just, you know, we get to know everybody, which can be useful. So it can surface, you know, partnership opportunities or, you know, maybe some of these companies have Bitcoin buying needs for themselves and their treasuries and stuff like that. So I'm sure there's like some things that will fall out of that in the future. But for the most part, it's just good to be in the flow and it's good to be doing good things. And that was the whole that was the whole thesis behind Bitcoin or ventures as well. So I started an Angelist syndicate and recruited Jan and Stefan and Lewis to be the partners in that. And we're just finishing up our fifth investment in in a Bitcoin startup. We did Unchained, BitRefill, Galoi, Breeze, and now we're just finishing up our fifth one right now. Um, you know, and that's gotten easier and easier. There's like 450 LPs now. Uh, you know, this latest one, it was like I put it up on Thursday or something. I had 300 grand committed by Monday. So you know, it's getting easier and easier to help contribute to some of these seed and A rounds for the Bitcoin companies, and you know, getting like a another 50 to 100 people around the world that own a piece of your company and tell their friends about it because they're more passionate about having some upside in the company and stuff like that. So that's cool. And we do that for no fees, no carry. Like there's no there's no economic incentive for the partners. Um, but we get to know more people. And Stefan gets to leverage his podcast. He finds guests through that. And then you can also, you know, sometimes guests he gets interested in and suggests that we do an investment in them. Jan gets to talk to, you know, more people building cool tech. Lewis obviously has his own fund, so he gets to double dip and do a bigger check out of his own fund while still participating in the AngelList. Or he finds something that is good for Bitcoin or Ventures as a syndicate deal that he's already invested mm-hmm. in out of Mimisa, stuff like that. So just trying to, like, support the ecosystem and just kind of trust that as we do more and more to support Bitcoiners, People actually get to know us, they actually get to trust us, and they feel comfortable buying through us or sending us their rich auntie, knowing that we're going to do a good job because they've watched it for hundreds of articles and thousands of podcasts and a million tweets. They've seen the Swan team operate, and you just you build up that trust, and we're top of mind, and, and people send their, their loved ones and their colleagues our way. Yeah. How much of the current team, you said you had 35 on board? 
as well. Yeah. How much is devoted to education <clears throat> and all these things we've been talking about versus the actual product, you know, the income product, let's say? Uh, it's probably about half, half. So mm. it's probably half like coding product design and, uh, and about half education content marketing. Yeah. You know, speaking about investing in, in Bitcoin companies and all that kind of stuff, wh- what do you make of the current um, market for investing in Bitcoin only companies? You know, we talked a little bit earlier about how there was so much VC interest and all this fast, loose, easy money in, in, the, in the crypto world. Uh, it does seem like over the last six to 12 months, there's been some decent money being raised by Bitcoin only companies. And, you know, that's certainly encouraging. What's your impression about what's going on in that? And you guys just raised money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my goal for Swan and with Bitcoin or ventures was to make it so that there was no pressure on Bitcoin companies to get into blockchain crypto in a down market. And so I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that, you know, in advance of a bear market, that Swan was funded to the point that we would be fine until a resumption of the bull market in the event that there actually are cycles. I don't know that there actually are cycles or ever have been, but, you know, in the event that there are, uh, I just wanted to be bear market proof. And I really wanted these other companies that are doing important things, um, you know, to be well-funded as well uh, and to have like a two or three year runway. Uh, so that they didn't have to explore blockchain consulting or crypto payments or whatever <laughs> else, you know, like you should at least have the option to remain Bitcoin only. Uh, and, you know, that was kind of the advice I always give to Bitcoin founders is like, as you're getting from zero to one, which is like to the point where you actually have revenue and numbers that look reliable and kind of a growth trajectory. Once, you ha- once you've hit that, that moment where you actually have something, you have a lot of power and it matter. It starts to matter a little bit less who you let on your cap table, who you become partners with by accepting their investment money. I do think it's really important that at like the angel and the seed stage that uh, Bitcoin only companies don't take shitcoin money. Um, and honestly, it's not even really, it, it can be pretty risky to take like normie VC money too, because they don't understand. And so I much prefer that all angel and seed rounds globally for good Bitcoin projects just get handled by Bitcoiners. Um, just because I think it, uh, it kind of, I mean, you don't, you don't see a lot of these companies, but I watch them very closely and I've seen, you know, at least, at least 10 companies come out basically trying, because I'm aware because people, re- people show them to me as they see something that looks like a swan copy and they raise a little bit of money but it's not from Bitcoiners and they're kind of into Bitcoin, but not that into Bitcoin. And then they, you know, within six months or 12 months, they're doing altcoins. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you don't see these Bitcoin only companies usually survive the zero to one stage. They usually yeah. either don't get supported or they turn to crypto. And how much pressure traditionally do like a VC, does a VC investor have on operational uh, you know, st- strategies and directives and approaches. It's soft. It just depends, you know, like it, it can just be annoying. It can, it can just be, they could have a board seat and make things really difficult for you. They could have control clauses in there that make things actually difficult for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it, it just, uh, you know, and you want people that are going to be helpful to you in right. general. 
you know, and they're just not going to care that much. And I think once you, once you're trying to go from like one to a hundred, so once you, once you've got revenue, you've got a team and you've got a vision and you can, you know, you can say, Hey, we've been proven right. This is a thing. Then I think it starts to matter a lot less. And, and I don't think it matters as much who you take money from, you know, series B and later, let's say. Yeah. So originally Swan was self-funded, then funded through revenue. And now you've done a raise, correct me on any of that if I'm wrong, but what were the yeah. determinants about how much to raise and from whom and all that stuff? Uh, I mean, I've been raising money since like 2004. Uh, so I don't have, like, I actually enjoy it. So I don't really have hangups. Like there are people, if you're like an engineer and you're a founder, you may not like fundraising and it sucks your energy. Uh, I enjoy it. I have more energy after a fundraising conversation than I did going into it. I enjoy meeting the person. I enjoy, you know, trading network and, you know, getting to know them and, and having them in the Rolodex for the future. So I just don't, I don't mind at all. What that meant for us is that we could do uh, what's termed uh, high fidelity fundraising, which is basically just raise as you go. And we just laddered safes, simple agreements for future equity kind of all the way up. So I think we've done five or six safes over time, stepping up the valuation each time. Um, and that's all we've done historically is, is safes. We decided to call this last one uh, an A round just because it was like pretty sizable and it felt like a good, a good time to put a stake in the ground and actually announce something for the first time. But mm -hmm. we'd actually taken like two and a quarter million on safes prior to this one. And then I think we did six and a half in August. Um, we held the announcement until a few weeks ago. But uh, yeah, that, that I would call kind of our A round. So we've, we've taken like eight and a half in all time, which is, you know, a decent chunk of money. Yeah. Was the post money valuation public after that? Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's still, you know, this stuff is, I don't talk about it openly, but I think we did put it in the press release. So yeah, <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, you're right. I think it was in there. So yeah, it was, uh, we raised six and a half on 90. So 96.5 post post my evaluation. Mm -hmm. Um, we could have been much more greedy. There was another company raising at the same time of us that had, uh, one eighth the revenue and raised at twice the valuation. So so 16x our revenue multiple um and that went out okay uh but it wasn't that much money it wasn't that dilutive and i didn't want to spend that much time on it so uh and it let us really kind of like sift through and find really good partners for it as well which was great like it was mm -hmm. it was a hot deal and got passed around really quick so nice so things at swan are going well i'm i'm taking taking um, it from the from such a result yeah i mean that that that's great I am, uh, you know, our, our first hypothesis was that there was room for a Bitcoin only on ramp and in, in that that could actually be like a sizable business. And, and we turned out to be right on that. That was kind of the 2020 thesis uh, or hypothesis. And then the big one for 2021 is that Bitcoin can and should be sold by actual salespeople. And that the only reason that it wasn't previously is because uh, crypto exchanges can't find salespeople to eloquently represent Bitcoin and 50 altcoins and their compliance right. department wouldn't let them do it anyway because of the gray area of many of them probably being securities. Right. And so recognizing that, you know, you can actually have a private client sales team with professional salespeople uh, who don't lie. So this is like the opposite of Bitcoin IRA. <laughs> 
<laughs> just kind of like a boiler room, not too far from here <laughs> in Sherman Oaks. Um, but if you actually had like honest, trustworthy people that, you know, could talk to you and, and could be uh, a handholder on your Bitcoin journey, that that could work. And that experiment has been amazing. You know, Stephen came on full time May 1st. So we're only we're seven months into this. The team's six now, plus Andy uh, is seven. Um, and they're just killing it. You know, they're talking to people around the world. Uh, we're starting an Arabic language uh, portal for this. And we have somebody cool. in, in Lebanon who speaks Arabic and is friends with SAFE and everything. And like, like that'll be really like awesome for that market. We hired somebody um, who starts in January, who's uh, uh, half Brazilian, half Colombian, speaks Portuguese and Spanish fluently. And he's going to be like Max and Stacy's right-hand man for everybody that they meet throughout their network and their travels uh, to handle all those folks. So, you know, I, I'm bullish on that whole thing. And then I don't actually have a hypothesis. I don't have a big bet. I guess our big bet for 2022 is uh, the app is actually in alpha testing right now. So you have like 100 people banging away on the Swan app. And there's a lot of cool things that are just easier to do in an app than on a website, just knowing that it's on the phone for sure. And uh that's <clears throat> a little bit of a different development environment versus our site right now, always having to work on desktop and mobile. Um, you know, so I think we'll pack a lot of cool stuff into the app uh, over the next year. And I think that'll be a really big growth vector. So I guess that's my, I'm interested to see if like the next big jump in growth for Swan comes from actually having an app and doing cool stuff in there. Right. The, uh, the Swan private stuff is like a service fee model, right? It's transaction fee, same thing. It's, it's the exact same 99 bips, that's it. We don't have oh. a fee associated with it. So the people it's just that a you- It's here. So the, like, but is there not a white glove sort of service that you guys offer that's the same thing? Yeah, same thing. Um, what we'll probably do, and we've been talking about this for a long time is like, We'll probably make it available to anybody that this is just kind of like what Parker and the Unchained guys announced a couple of weeks ago. Like you, you basically say, Hey, there's this thing that costs a lot of money, but in the fine print, it's buried. Like, you know, if you buy a lot through us or do a lot with us, obviously it's free for you. So it's the same mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like you hang a big price tag out there and say like, yeah, you could buy this for like three grand a year. But obviously if you buy a lot of Bitcoin through us, you'll get that stuff for free. Yeah. Do you think, the Bitcoin only market is, I mean, how far away from things being frothy do you think we are where, you know, a lot of companies start to get it. It's a Bitcoin only world <clears throat> building products in that market and the VCs get it and the, the investors get it and everyone starts piling in on every product with a nice name and logo. How far away from that do you think we are? Uh, probably never. Can never be too much money flowing into Bitcoin. No, I just, I mean, there's like maybe $50 million at most of VC funding specifically earmarked for Bitcoin startups. Maybe you less. Think that's it? I mean, there's, there's Stillmark, Folger, uh, the Bitcoin Venture Fund, Mimesis. Like none of those are big funds. Mm -hmm. You know, that might be like 15, 15, 10, a smattering of other ones, whatever 1031 has raised so far, it's not much versus probably 35 billion for crypto VCs. Right. So it's about a 700x multiple uh, 
earmarked for shitcoins versus Bitcoin? I guess it largely depends on the the narrative, right? Do you think we we, we move into a period where Bitcoin starts separating itself even more, or does do we deal with? Well, the... I don't. I don't think that we need venture funding for this, really, because uh, Bitcoin startup can can grow without spending a ton of money because you have access to, uh, you know, what's probably a top five consumer brand in the world today, and I think will be the number one consumer brand in five years. And you can call your company that and use the logo freely and talk about Bitcoin all the time. Like, so you have a massive built-in advantage by having the best product in the history of the world with an incredible brand that you can use freely. Um, so that means that you already have the attention of the world if you're willing to raise your hand and sort of be vocal. Um, and then the other thing is like most of it doesn't need venture funding because so many companies that are already established do cool shit with Bitcoin, whether it's, you know, CT or... Fidelity or Square, like, you know, those have access to public markets, Riot, MicroStrategy, like there's so many, so many companies out there that can do awesome stuff for Bitcoin and have, you know, market capitalizations way higher than the VC funding that's going into altcoins. And I think the smart money continues to flow toward Bitcoin and smart investments in things, or at least for sure, the ones that are going to work and actually going to matter in the long run are going to be companies working on things related to Bitcoin. Yeah. Do you see anything right now or any things right now that are, you think are good opportunities? I mean, obviously you're doing a lot of, you're doing investing in the space and you're keeping your ear to the ground. What do you think are some of the, the big opportunities in the Bitcoin space? Um, that you aren't personally capitalizing yeah, on. Of yeah. Course. <laughs> no, I mean, I like, I, I mean, I think it's just super bullish that like, you know, Visa Crypto is making available to anyone that kind of wants wants to white label it. This idea of uh, you know spending against your Bitcoin balance on a credit card that works anywhere Visa is accepted. Like that's a cool innovation. We've been kind of hearing whispers about it for a while, but now Fold has announced that they're actually doing it. Uh, I think Abra might do it, like which is obviously like a crypto company, whatever. But they're going to do it with this thing with Bitcoin, I think. Um, I might have that wrong. Sorry, Bill, if I messed that up. But, um, <clears throat> you know, I think that's that's super cool and super bullish. And, you know, like other people might be able to try to copy that. But, like, Visa already has that network, and it sounds like the product. It makes sense if you look at, like, the diagram of how it's going to work. Um, so that's interesting. I think you'll see, and that's kind of like a Bitcoin-backed loan product, essentially, right? You're posting automatically some of your Bitcoin as collateral and, you know, they're, I think they're using that to grab a stable coin and then issuing you dollars backed by the stable coin, which is backed by the Bitcoin, basically. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. It lets people spend. Um, I, it's super early to build like a large company with get on zero, but I love that idea and that people are trying it and that there's like a thousand or more people essentially kind of trying to use Bitcoin as their only currency and that as their only holding in their bank account and that you know level is out there letting you spend that bitcoin basically without the merchant even needing to know that it's bitcoin so that's awesome that to me kind of if i think about my thesis of saying like hey i think we're still in accumulation phase we're still trying to become a big sov 
and it won't be sort of venture scale spending Bitcoin over Lightning, whatever, by until like 2025. What's nice is that the people that really do want to start doing it now don't need merchant adoption. Like, we don't we don't need you, Roger. You can stop talking to merchants <laughs> now. Like we never did actually, because you know people have been spending in in their own currency without the mer- with the merchant receiving their local currency for decades. Like it's not mm-hmm. not new should be able to spend with whatever. I was just walking through like the freaking farmer's market by my parents' uh, house up in Seattle last Saturday. And, you know, a couple of the stands, you know, it, it would say like Bitcoin accepted here. Also all other altcoins. I was like, what's the other for? I don't get it. Like, <laughs> anyway, so then they have like 20 <laughs> logos of shit coins. And it's like, you know, if a freaking farmer's farm stand can figure out how to accept all this stuff, you know, I know they're getting dollars on the back end. It's just some kind of like payment provider, whatever. Right. Like you, can, you can abstract that stuff away. So, you know, these things are, you know, Bitcoin is already a, a store of value for people who see it that way. Like I do, it's where I store my wealth. And then, you know, it can be a medium of exchange today for those people that need to use it that way. It's just getting to beautiful user experiences, more liquidity in channels, you know, just you know, if we're just talking about lightning as the way that that we're going to scale on, on layer twos, um, obviously there are some people that have other views of of how we need to scale on top of on top of layer one. We'll see if, see what plays out. I I just see all this like if there are problems with lightning, it just feels like there's so much activity there that we'll figure it out. That's that's the bet that I'm making, which is why I keep. Mm-hmm putting small checks into lightning companies. Yeah. Yeah. What's been, you know, it all sounds pretty rosy, right? You, the thesis, the thesis was good. The initial feedback was good. Great team, lots of media raised and stuff. What's been hard about this, uh, this journey with Swan for you? Uh, always being like six months behind, always feeling like if we had more done, we could have got, you know, five times more revenue out of that pump or, something like that, or just kind of like feeling like you missed, missed it because the product wasn't good enough. You know, like that's just, that's really what it is. You just always feel like you're a little under-resourced and six months behind. So, um, I would say only really recently, just with the maturation of the sales team and feeling like, okay, that, that, that worked and is working has given me a lot more ability to, uh, sleep without waking up a lot. (laughs) Uh, And then I think, uh, you know, Andy joining to run Swan Advisor Services made that like a real business. Like, I think, you know, the other three that are kind of out there focused on that are, this is like Blockchain, OnRamp, and Eaglebrook. All three just sit on top of Gemini and all three sell crypto. Right. Mm. So there is no like Bitcoin only RA focused platform. And, you know, those all are. And I just think it makes more sense as a unit or like a product and service layer inside a larger brand like ours than that being the entire business. That's just kind of how I see it. Anyway, that's that's my bet is that I think this will work really well and that I think there actually are a lot of a lot of financial advisors that actually don't want the noise of crypto and don't trust it, but can get over the hump with Bitcoin. And I think yeah. we can serve them really well. So I like that. Um, 
Yeah, I think the other thing is just like just just filling that second line management. And I, I've been thinking about what it means. I, I had lunch with uh, Chris Calicott yesterday from uh, the Bitcoin Venture Fund, uh, the Trammell Venture Partners guy. And uh, what I realized today is it's like everyone that's responsible for a function at Swan now is much better at their function than I am. And that is uh, a good place to be. Yeah. Is this the biggest company that you've ever been the CEO founder of? Oh yeah. 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 This is, so, so I was, I was the number two guy at, uh, the ad tech company. And when I left, we were about this size and I was running about half the team. So I was running about 20 people. I've run, yeah. I've run, you know, units and project teams at larger companies that were bigger than us. Um, but not, not running the whole company. What have been some, if there has been any takeaways about your own, you know, educational journey of learning how to run a company, manage people, you know, all that stuff. What's that been like? Uh, I mean, we have some built-in advantages here with just everybody on the Bitcoin mission. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the rules kind of, you get to kind of remake them a little bit. So it's very easy to run a remote company without having to overthink it. It's very easy to run a flatter organization without much hierarchy uh, because you don't have to overthink it. Um, you can basically trust everyone at the company to work hard and do what they say they're going to do and tell you if they couldn't figure it out. Like there's no, there's no bullshit and politics and lies and stuff like that because it's just antithetical to being a Bitcoiner basically. Um, so there's so massive great. advantages. Um, yeah. The other thing is uh, we have become like this retirement home for Bitcoiners. So there's, you know, at least five people uh, working at Swan now who were retired, you know, independently wealthy from other endeavors, plus, you know, having Bitcoin um, that weren't working and wouldn't work unless it was working on Bitcoin mm. and have essentially come out of retirement to do this. So I think that is something that startups can't tap into. Like you can't, you can't hire people in their forties and fifties and late thirties who are independently wealthy and were superstars in their careers and absolutely knock it out of the park and will work full time and will work at startup wage scale uh, unless you're working on Bitcoin. Like nobody's going to do this to work on like some app on Stellar, right? Yeah. Like they have to pay Silicon Valley wages, which is why they need the shitcoin VC money. Like, mm -hmm. and they would never, and they would, these people would never work. They just wouldn't work period unless it was actually trying to build a bright orange future. Mm -hmm. So that's a massive advantage. Like Jan was retired. Tomer was retired. You know, Stefan doesn't need this job, obviously. Um, his podcast going great. He does other stuff. Um, you know, so I just, I like that, you know, Andy was running Westcap financial out here, you know, with his family, huge wealth management practice and, you know, told his partners, listen, I got to do this Bitcoin thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to help. I'll still manage my old clients. You can still call me if you need this, that or the other, but um, I'm working on Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, man. Uh, speaking of bright orange future, I, that was a, that's is that your current or past podcast, it's, right? Uh, I did run Bright Orange Future for a while. Um, that was, uh, 
Yeah, we did eight episodes. It was me and my brother co-hosting. And then uh, my brother, unfortunately, fell pretty ill. Uh, so we've been dealing with that for the last year and a half. But yeah, we had a nice run uh, last year with that. And I like that. I don't have a lot of time for it. I'd like to bring it back. And the 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 thing there was we were actually interviewing uh, mostly reporters, which was kind of yeah. cool. So you're basically saying like, hey, you who occasionally write about Bitcoin or think about Bitcoin, we want to put you on a podcast and get to know you and just kind of like build that relationship and and sneak some Bitcoin in there. (laughs) (laughs) And it resulted in like like legitimately better coverage and and more outreach from people we were having on the show. So like I think it is a good tool. I'd like to bring it back at some point. I just don't have time to do it. And I was my motivation was honestly like having a time each week that I was definitely going to see my brother and talk to him. Right. Right. Well, but I, also I mean, I'm sorry to hear is the name of my book that's coming out. Well, I was going to add, first of all, you know, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about your brother. I hope he's, hope he's doing all right. But, and you re- released an article recently about a bright orange future. And I didn't know about the book, but here you, you just informed me. So I wanted to ask you, what is the bright orange future to, in your mind? What do you see on the uh, on the horizon? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of the stuff. I mean, it's going to be cobbled together from, you know, it's probably. I don't even know the source of these things anymore. It's also high right. of mind, but it's gonna, yeah. you know, it's just a it's a conglomeration of the things that resonate with me that I also think she'll, will probably come to pass over the next few decades um, that Bitcoin should bring about. So there's. A lot of stuff that that you would talk about or think about and Gigi and Tomer and Safe and Rob and, you know, and all kinds of people that think about this stuff. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I really, really like the analogy that I actually got from uh, from Gabe Layden, the founder of Machine Zone, the, which used to be like the biggest mobile gaming company in the U.S. So they did like Art of War. Uh, which is like the, all the Kate Upton and Arnold Schwarzenegger ads and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's a huge company. And, and what his insight was is the more people that you can get uh, on the same playing field, like in the same game, in the same universe, uh, the more valuable the ecosystem is which, is, which makes a lot of sense, right? And so mm-hmm. the more people we can get in like a friction-free economy uh, where they can all transact with each other and they can all connect with each other, uh, the more valuable that economy is, the faster it will grow, the more people will find their place and, you know, where they can add value and where they can get paid for the value that they deliver. Um, so I don't, there's nothing really more important because like prosperity solves every other problem. Like, you know, if you have a problem that you can write a check to solve it, you don't have a problem if you have the money sure. right? so yeah so you can you can really like you can grow your way out of almost anything you know and so mm-hmm. i think that's kind of what i'm kind of most bullish on on the sort of economics sort of growth prosperity side is is if we can just make you know put eight billion people on the same playing field i think that we'll see it won't just be like a return to traditional you know two percent gdp growth in in real terms it'll be, and then I think we've declined to one or sub one at this point or worse. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably worse. Um, I, you know, I think we could easily unlock something like, you know, 50 years of five to 10%. Yeah. 
you know, from like 2050 to the end of the century. And I just mm-hmm. like the amount of innovation that could happen there in every field because of the marshalling and the harnessing of talent from around the world in a much more seamless way. I just think people are not pricing that in at all. And all that yeah. wealth is then going to end up getting stored in Bitcoin too. So it's just, it's just going to be really interesting. I hope I'm alive to see a lot of it. Yeah, me too, you man. I, it's it's going to be very interesting to see early results from El Salvador as kind of one of the first that's putting the framework in place to start actualizing, actualizing some of this, start removing some of the friction, start getting more people to save in, in Bitcoin and obviously transacting as well. You know, I think it could happen quickly, you know, and, and especially in a small country like that, where, you know, if you get all that remittance money, no longer be having a huge uh, fee taken out of it and people are able to save and grow their savings along with Bitcoin and the government is, you know, deregulating the economy and doing very Bitcoin friendly policies, you know, in a, in a place as small as that, you know, it could it could really show results quite quickly. And I think that will spur on, as you were saying earlier, others to start looking at Bitcoin to see how they might be able to take advantage of it in a similar way, you know? So, you know, we, I think we always conservatively, you know, that bright orange future, we, we kind of, we, we want to manage our own expectations. So we put it out maybe a bit further, you know, so you were just saying 2050 to 20, 2100 or something like that, but. Well, specifically around, I think that's when you might see the ramp up to like over 5% global GDP growth in real terms. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, I think we we take, shall see. Maybe it's faster. It'd be awesome. <laughs> um, so that's one thing. And then, you know, I, I'm bullish on lots of people. Not everyone who gets into Bitcoin uh, becomes a better person and starts to act differently, but a lot of people clearly do. Mm. Like, it's almost just like having something to care about and having some structure. You know, I think that might be part of it. A lot of people haven't had something to care about or any sort of structure to their life for a long time. And almost having having something that uh, is a touchstone um, actually kind of like unleashes productivity and creati- creativity in a lot of other areas. You know, it's like people that have a morning routine end up being a lot more flexible with the rest of their day because they kind of feel anchored in having done something, something like that. Totally. One of the reasons that I like automatic daily Bitcoin purchases is I always know I did something every day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, so that I'm definitely bullish on that. I mean, if anything, Swan is actually more a company about Bitcoiners than it is about Bitcoin itself. Like we're very much Mm. about the people and and trying to do things for the people. Um, You know, it's it's, I can preview this because it's about to launch. But, um, you know, on, on this idea of like getting in early and watching a market develop around you, you know, I'm very bullish on Bitcoiners wanting to do business with each other. And, you know, if you were going to have an accountant, wouldn't you rather that accountant be a Bitcoiner? If you were going to have, you know, as, uh, as Jeremy Showalter, our, uh, our new VP of product posted on Twitter, like I got some home miners, I need an electrician. I'd prefer that electrician be a Bitcoiner. Are there any Bitcoiner <laughs> electricians in Seattle? <laughs> Yeah, you know, no, like you're right. You're 100 percent right. There's yeah. like, would you rather would you rather hang out with a personal trainer that you can talk about a fucking Bitcoin podcast with, or a personal trainer that you can't talk about a Bitcoin podcast with? Yeah, you know, you just find it. I think the uh, 
the, the easiest example of this for me was like, I think it was like spring of 2020 and Spetsky came to town. I picked him up at LAX and we went straight to, uh, you know, some brunch spot in Venice and met up with Rob, Breedlove and Brecky and a few other people. And, you know, we just got a big table and, you know, we tried to talk about Bitcoin to each other for like 10 minutes. We were all just like nodding our heads and like repeating things to each other. And then we realized we just wanted to talk about everything else in life. And, you know, <laughs> the conversation rolled for like four hours and it felt like 10 minutes. And we had just talked about a million other things because the baseline yeah. was there. It's like somebody that you went to, you know, elementary school, high school and college with. Like, you don't need to talk about all your schools and stuff. Like, you've just got this shared this shared uh, viewpoint about something very important. Maybe the most important thing, you know, you see eye to eye on that. And it implies so many other things about the person that you just feel you uh, have a higher level of trust and you can open up to them way, way more. 100%. You nailed it. That was entirely my experience at the Bitcoin conference too. You know, like you're just immediately on the same wavelength. As you said, you, you kind of, you know, you're, you're congruent in many different aspects of your, you know, your opinion and your life and stuff. And you, it develops a sense of familiarity and trust that you can actually just go on and, and bleed into other things, as you said. So is that going to be what, what, so what was, we're launching uh, very soon. You'll see press on this, but I don't care if a few people on your podcast uh, listen to this. But um, yeah, we're, we're launching a marketplace um, for Bitcoiners. Uh, so this will be kind of the second product out of Swan Labs, Bitcoiner Jobs being the first one. The second one is called Bitlist. So bitlist.com is like Craigslist for Bitcoiners. Right. It's all products and services, you know, by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners. By people that identify as Bitcoiners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like a it's a vertical interest marketplace. That's amazing. I love it. Um, I'm going to use the right. hell out of it. Yeah, I, of course. I don't want to buy. Yeah. I don't want to buy anything if I can help it from someone who's not a Bitcoiner. You yeah. know, and like, and there's no transactions on it, so it's just you know transact however you will. That's fine. Figure it out. But you know, maybe it could have transactions in the future, and maybe that's kind of like an angle for us down the road, something like that. Yeah. But I think it'll just. There's so much pent up demand. I mean, we've tweeted about, you know, hey, got a product or service you want to sell a few times. And, you know, we've got hundreds of these at launch just ready to go. That's awesome, man. I can't wait to see how that uh, turns out. Um, Last thing I got for you, I I appreciate and value your perspective on macro level stuff. You know, and these days there's so much... (laughs) unprecedented let's say stuff going on in the macro landscape what yeah. do you make of what's going on and and how stable things are and i mean what's what's your general 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 impression because you know as an entrepreneur you have to be able to plan t- for the future to some degree and the future seems so murky right now what's your impression on macro world yeah uh i think they're going to be able to kick this can down the road again really <laughs> yeah I think the only thing that stops them from kicking the can down the road is the rise of Bitcoin. And I think, and the question for me is like, when that happens and essentially when the U.S. government has to uh, experience uh, austerity and can't spend as much because the market rejects it. But right now, the way it's set up, you know, with the, everyone around the world essentially needing dollars and needing more dollars all the time to be able to pay off their debts. Um, you know, this thing can go a little bit longer. There's other things about like, you know, 
millennials are the largest generation in the history of the richest country in the world and their peak consumption is 2038. So, you know, we've generally seen, you know, broadly ripping bull markets <laughs> through to the year of peak consumption of the larger generations. So that may, may also still play out. Um, like, I think the best, the best bet outside of Bitcoin is global capital seeking a major U.S. market public stock. So NYSE and NASDAQ listed companies, I think, will have a massive premium over what they deserve for the next 15 years while Bitcoin continues to rise. So that's, that's kind Why of my, that? my general view. Uh, because there's not really any other market where you can actually put money in size other than, other than the U.S. public equity markets. And there's no, you know, it's still, it's still the legal system and structure that you can trust the most. You can trust the integrity of those markets more than any other markets around the world. So I think they're kind of the safest places to invest. And I think that's, that's the world savings account today. You know, the, the company, the, 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 the countries around the world, their savings account is essentially U.S. treasuries and the uh, investors around the world, their savings account is U.S. stock markets, basically, mm. especially as bond uh, yields basically are at zero. How do you think mechanically the, the kicking the can down the road works out this time with interest rates and inflation and the balance between the two? Who knows? That's <laughs> Just had our uh, our first board meeting a few weeks ago with uh, Lynn Alden joined the board of Swan. Nice. So I now outsource all macro research and thinking to Lynn, <laughs> and we just reprint her stuff every month anyway. Wise move. <laughs> yeah, definitely a wise move. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We we will see. I mean, what we didn't what we didn't have is sort of the matured euro dollar system and and sort of like you know dollars the unbacked dollars is the full global reserve currency that everything runs on. We didn't have that in the 70s yet. It had just started and the system hadn't really developed and gotten to the size that it is. So we didn't have everybody over a barrel yet. We do have everybody over a barrel now, you know, for good or ill. Um, and seeing that play out versus inflation where we're still the least bad currency or the other ones are doing worse, um, you know, we'll see. There's just so much demand for dollars. And they're able to just kind of hide this inflation with messed up metrics to some degree, even though we printed a six, you know, we'll see, we'll see what that is next year. We'll see if they monkey with the metrics again. I think what you'll see is something that you brought up at the beginning of the conversation. I think the, the reaction is going to be uh, people who are privy to it, you know, trying to seek out more friendly jurisdictions where they get a better deal in one way or another. And that could play out sort of state by state in the U.S., you know. So if you're seeing, if you're seeing, like, if people are really worried about inflation and then taxes become more important because their money is, you know, like they're getting less of what they earn, like you could see somebody get really aggressive on tax, you know, and really try to recruit people to their state or mm -hmm. something like that. And that could be tax breaks even at like the city level and trying to recruit entrepreneurs and stuff like that. And incentives and it could be you know getting rid of certain taxes like you know state income tax or sales tax or something like that and trying to you know draw people to your state um but i do think that you know obviously cantons in switzerland 
being very distinct is an advantage for Switzerland and states being very distinct and still somewhat separate uh, in the U.S. is an advantage um, for the United States. So I'm, I'm kind of bullish on countries that have a lot of diversity in jurisdiction within their borders. Yeah, I agree with you there. Do you think CBDCs are are in the near future? Not in the U.S. I don't think they can do it. Why not? I don't think they'll be able to ram it through. And I don't think that, uh, I, I think that there's enough people with enough uh, knowledge of history to know not to give the Fed that power. An optimist. It's good to see these days. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't see, I don't see any people a lot of credit. Uh, enough. I mean, they, they've got a, you'd have to get so many people on board with that to push it through. You know, I just think the chance is really small and there's been no, no indication. Like there's nobody with any power really in the U S there's academics and some stupid people or whatever. And you see some MMT people. And I saw somebody making some lame comments that betrayed a immense amount of ignorance on many subjects yesterday that had the ACDC logo replaced by CBDC. And I was like, well, that, that is at least a decent meme, but, uh, you also don't understand anything about government or economics. So it's probably not going to work out. Well, I don't know. I, I think all the signals are that they'll just try to like, I, I think they'll just leverage stable coins and, and let that go. I mean, it, some of the arguments that, you know, some of the, the crypto CEOs gave yesterday, like that is, that is the best way for crypto to survive is to promote the hell out of the dollar. Like that's the way for them to buy their protection is to say that, Hey, we support you, you know, Jeremy from Circle gave like eight pages of testimony without mentioning Bitcoin and just saying, please, please, please regulate the hell out of me. I just want to spread dollars everywhere and maintain dollar supremacy and help the United States. It was the entire pitch. Mm -hmm. Like, I am so on your side. Like, just, like please, <laughs> if you guys could just like nationalize Circle like today, like, that'd be so great. I would love that. Like, totally. You got some boots? Oh, dude, I've totally licked them. It's awesome. <laughs> oh my God. Those Maxine, those boots are amazing. <laughs> yeah. There seems to be a lot of a lot of courting the dollar uh people these days. Or 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 pacifying them, let's say. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm I'm eager for a day, which may not be too far away, where uh, you know, the top three are Bitcoin, Tether, and USDC. That seems like inevitable. Like, why wouldn't mm. it why wouldn't the dollar, the most used currency on the globe, why wouldn't that be you know, the biggest crypto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's no moat, by the way, like the crypto people saying, like, it's important that dollars are on their blockchain. Like, there's absolutely no moat there whatsoever. You know, as soon as that's available, if there's a better product on a layer two on Bitcoin, so if, you know, John Carvalho or anybody else figures out a good way to send dollars on some kind of like Bitcoin related tech and that's cheaper, better, faster, more secure, whatever, like totally. they'll eat that lunch. There's no reason whatsoever to be paying Tron gas fees, ether, whatever, like none of it makes any sense. You don't need those things at all. It should just be whatever's the best solution. Yeah, I agree completely. Uh, 
Corey, I appreciate the time, man. Was there anything that you wanted to get off your chest or uh, shill before we shut it down? No, I just miss Gigi. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get to talk to him several times a week now. So in your face, I appreciate that. No, it's uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I just, uh, yeah, I just like, I, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled to be part of this group of people around the world that are, that are just working their asses off and thinking really hard and not worried about, uh, how they come across. Like I just, I worked for big companies for so long and like VC wasn't that much better. It's just so much posturing and so much just positioning and, and trying not to say the wrong thing. And like, I'm just, I'm really enjoying, uh, the amount of self-knowledge that I see in Bitcoiners often, not all, mm. but often, mm. uh, it's way, way, they're way over index on having like a good level of self-knowledge and humility and just kind of doing the best they can all the time and being honest about what they can and can't do. And it just, it makes working with Bitcoiners like such an immense pleasure to strip away so much of the posturing and the bullshit. Yeah. Um, I'm just, I'm just enjoying it, man. It, it's just really energizing because uh, I like those things I just defined are are largely what I would use to define a good person, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And so, working with good people or people who are acting very good because if they're in Bitcoin and have to, or they wash out, whatever it is, I don't care. The effect is the same. Like, yeah, I'm interacting with good people all the time. I love it. Yeah, me too, man. The, the authenticity is, is incredible. Like people can be their crazy selves on Twitter, <laughs> but they can also show up and do the work that they're talented and, and dedicated to. And those don't have to be mutually exclusive, right? You can, you can mm-hmm. be both of those things because that's actually who you are and you don't have to dial down or hide, yeah. you know, any aspect of yourself as a result of where you're working or what you have. Doing. One more thing I have to fit in here, which is very related. Uh, probably just pitch this to Tomer and he'll write something on it. But, um, I I think, uh, I think there are a lot of people that, uh, really enjoy working in Bitcoin and on Bitcoin, uh, Mm -hmm. who are the types who've never been able to work for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And something about knowing that you're not working for, you know, Vitalik, not working for Mark Andreessen, not working to enrich another person that you're and that you have, like this, this greater goal of kind of working for everybody and no one at the same time, it, it gets a lot of people that may not have really liked working before to want to work. And then it gets a lot of people that wouldn't have to work. It now work looks more attractive. Like it's interesting. Like there, there's something here. I'm, I don't know what it is, but I think just people, people are more likely to want to work for Bitcoin and they're more likely to want to work harder for Bitcoin and better. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about that. Well, I think, you know, among many other reasons, they see the potential for the impact on the future that this thing can have, both theirs as an individual and the collective. Yeah. And yeah. they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, I want to work to bring that about as, as fast as possible. And I want to be a part of other people who are oriented towards that same goal. Because yeah. in many cases, I mean, what 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 bigger mission could there be? You know, once you really grok Bitcoin, and you understand how it's going to influence everything. I mean. What's a greater cause, basically? I'm with you, man. Love it. Yeah.
All right. I appreciate the time, brother. Great to catch up and uh, look forward to a chat again soon, hopefully face-to-face in the new year. Sounds good, John. Thanks. All right, brother. Take care. Hey, guys. Hope you enjoyed that discussion with Corey. It's always great to chat with him and in particular hear him reiterate how they make business decisions at Swan, which is to focus on what's best for Bitcoin and Bitcoiners. And I just love that as part of their guiding ethos. If you'd like to hear more from Corey, follow him on Twitter at Corey Clipston, C-O-R-Y-K-L-I-P-P-S-T-E-N, and visit swan.com to learn more about their Bitcoin-only service offering. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Closing the Loop, and we'll see you next time.